0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the international affairs, foreign policy, and global development community and world news aficionados of all stripes. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. On April 22nd and 23rd, the White House hosted a Climate Leaders Summit, which featured more than 40 world leaders. Joe Biden kicked off the summit with a major announcement that the United States had set a target to reduce by 50% its carbon emissions by the year 2030. This is an ambitious emissions reduction target and one that lends support to the Paris Agreement goal to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. On the line with me to discuss the significance of the White House announcement and its implications for climate diplomacy is Pete Ogden. He is Vice President for Climate and the Environment at the United Nations Foundation, and we kick off with a discussion of some of the major announcements made at this summit, including from key U.S. allies. We also discuss what this summit means for the big event on the climate change diplomacy calendar this year. And that is the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, Scotland, in November, known as COP26. It is at this conference that the parties to the Paris Agreement are to formally present their national climate action plans to get to that Paris Agreement goal of limiting warming by 1.5 degrees. And as Pete Ogden explains, this White House summit did generate some important momentum to that end. I think you'll appreciate this conversation. It offers a great overview of what happened at this White House Climate Summit and what it means for the future of climate diplomacy. And just one quick note, a big thank you to everyone who has been leaving reviews of the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to the show. I so appreciate it. By leaving a review, you help other people discover the show. So thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Pete Ogden of the United Nations Foundation. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: Yeah, the the big announcement from President Biden was the U.S.'s new, what they call the nationally determined contribution inside the Paris Agreement, which is essentially our new national greenhouse gas reduction target. And it was unknown; people didn't know it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was previewed on the campaign or anything like that. No one, no one knew what the 2030 target would be, and there was just a lot of uh, anticipation and, and frankly, there's was a lot of hope from the from the global community and and from uh, the kind of climate community in the United States, that they would see themselves to a path of 50 percent reduction below two thousand five levels by twenty thirty, and uh, they came through. They ended up announcing a fifty to fifty two percent target for twenty thirty. So essentially, a commitment to have greenhouse gas emissions from the United States in the next nine years.
0: Uh, and it's worth maybe emphasizing or describing that these nationally determined contributions the ndcs you'll help you, you will hear people just say in in climate diplomacy circles are the cornerstone of the paris agreement it is each country's national action plan on climate that they bring to the table that collectively uh would put the world on a path towards 1.5 degrees uh limit of of greenhouse gas emissions and and warming is that right That's correct. So we could do like a whole episode on Mm -hmm. what the domestic implications of this announcement by Joe Biden uh, entails. Could you just maybe briefly, though, sketch out what it requires of American society and the U.S. government to actually uh, achieve that 50% reduction by 2030?
1: sure well you know there there, there's no single route to getting there um i think and 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 the this administration hasn't spelled out exactly what the suit sort of suite of tools it's going to do use and how exactly to deploy them but it'll be some combination certainly of investments uh that we're seeing proposed in in the president's infrastructure plan which 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 invests heavily in things like uh electric vehicle charging stations and, and other other um other infrastructure that would be the cornerstone of a of a clean energy economy with this kind of reduc- reduced reduced uh, greenhouse gas pollution but it would also be a combination of regulatory policy uh, and potentially legislation um, there is inside the president's infrastructure bill is a proposal for a, a, a national clean energy standard for the united states um, so we don't know exactly what form it's going to take but it'll be some, you know, some combination of those of those uh, those tools.
0: You know, it was I think very deliberate that the Biden administration chose this Climate Leaders Summit that they hosted to make this big announcement on the U.S. NDC on the fifty percent reduction by twenty thirty. Um, what sort of impact uh, did that have on the discussions over the past few days during that climate? Summit
1: oh well it it absolutely sort of set the tone. I mean again, I think that no one no one knew that it, it was a very closely held uh secret or maybe it was just a very <laughs> very recently arrived upon uh definitive decision by the administration uh, so uh uh it was I think met with you know a recognition that the United States and this administration is going to be extremely serious. Uh, about climate change. I mean, it's something he had he had talked about a great deal. Clearly, the administration, as he had been staffing it and building building it up, you know, had every indication that this would be the case. But you know, for the international community, it was really focused on what this all amounted to. And you know, it, it's hard to put all the pieces together, even if you're in the United States. But for other countries, the idea that it would all be consolidated into this into this number inside the Paris agreement was really you know is really the point of convergence I mean this is this is the agreement to which the United States is now you know had been absolutely central in crafting now has re-entered and uh, this was this was that moment in which people were were going to sort of react to how w- what that would look like for this administration and again I, I think that that everyone clearly came away with the sense that this is, this is clearly a priority and it's going to have to drive a lot of the president's agenda for the next four year, four to eight years, if he's going to um, uh, be able to deliver on it. Uh,
0: so what sort of announcements of note did we hear at the summit from other countries? I mean, it's my understanding that some other countries also made, you know, similarly ambitious uh, announcements at the summit, used the summit um, to kind of be the place where they would kind of tell their peer countries that this was their national climate action plan.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was you know it was encouraging to see that um, uh, several other countries uh, had had sort of stepped up um, in a similar manner. Um, the you know the the key one of the key focus points for the year. Um, in in terms of the Paris Agreement, and, and is is this establishment of your twenty thirty targets and making sure that they are sufficiently robust and in line with the ultimate goal of that agreement. Um, and to date, while a lot of countries had had made commitments um, or had announced their intention to in, in raise their commitments at some point this year, you know, among the major economies, developed and developing. There hadn't been a great deal of positive movement. I mean, you had the EU and the UK both moved very aggressively uh, uh, toward the tail end of last year in that direction. But that was about it. And so uh, the fact that the United States had kind of moved itself into that position also, I think, helped to bring forth some other uh, countries' uh, 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 redoubled efforts. So, you know, Japan moved its its targets up from, you know, in the mid-20s to uh, percent by 2030, almost doubling it to 45 percent up to 50 percent emission reduction by 2030. I mean, it's a huge jump for one of the world's, you know, largest economies. Um, Canada also significantly increased its NDC up up 50 percent from a 30 percent target to 40 to 45 percent by 2030. So, you know, those were big, those were big commitments that really helped to move the needle I mean there was a an analysis by uh, by an organization uh, that sort of tracks the, the the extent to which these national commitments are are adequate to meeting the Paris agreement and they and they they said that just the the announcements yesterday from those two countries and others you know closed the, the gap by 10 to 15 percent over what was needed to really get on a true, uh, under two degree path globally. So, you know, things did
0: happen just based on what you're saying. It sounds to me like, you know, from a diplomatic point of view, this was a success. I mean, the Biden administration clearly sought to use the convening power of the white house to, uh, press other countries allies really to make some commitments to follow their own commitment. And, you know, it seemed like it worked. It was a gamble, but it seemed like it paid off.
1: Yeah, it did. I mean, I think they got it. And they, and, and not only did the countries, you know, they're, 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 as you say, they're, they're the, these allies, countries like Japan and Canada, um, who clearly uh, uh, really value having a strong relationship with the United States. You know, it makes sense that they would also then see this as a real opportunity um, to, to find an area of joint success. Um, but, you know, you also have to keep in mind, he invited 40 plus leaders, you know, including the whole G20. Um, and they all showed, you know, mm-hmm. President Putin, President Xi, President Bolsonaro, right, they all, they all came. And I think, you know, again, that's that itself is, you know, a demonstration of global leadership, uh, I think, that that the administration is, is going to feel, you know, really good about. Now, is it surprising that those countries don't necessarily all want to make a big climate announcement at President Biden's summit. Considering everything else going on in the relationships, no. I mean, countries want to make these announcements at the you know time and place that's most you know advantageous to them and and, and consistent with 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 their um, you know domestic mm-hmm. domestic political messages and overall you know um, uh, uh, you know their their, their strategies uh, more broadly. Um, But I think that the fact that they all came, you know, again, shows that that uh, that they are they are still part of this big process with the United States back in it um, really for the first time and, you know. Four and a half years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting just to see you know she attend it. Uh, you know, this was I think the culmination of some diplomatic work by John Kerry, who was in China just ahead of the announcement that she would uh, attend the climate summit. I mean, it seems to be a validation of the idea that while the United States and China will butt heads on several issues, you know, democracy in Hong Kong, the South China Sea, uh, the situation of the Uyghurs, you know, competition globally more generally there is this opportunity for collaboration on the climate and even though as you said that you know she didn't make any like big announcements the fact that he showed was i think a significant demonstration of a willingness on the part of the chinese and the united states to work together on this at least one issue
1: yeah i mean i think that's the hope and and we'll have to see i mean you know it's it's very interesting if you think back uh to the really the you know the high water mark of us China cooperation on climate was in the run up to the Paris agreement, um, an agreement that was really, um, you know, fundamentally built because it had to be to accommodate the two largest emitters in China and the United States. Right. I mean, that was something that the Kyoto Protocol predecessor, and you know, agreements mm-hmm. couldn't do. Um, and the U.S. And, and China worked very hard to, to uh, with the global community to find something that would really work for everybody. And not long after that agreement was ratified, went into force, the United States bailed on it and they have President Trump walk away. And, you know, interestingly, th- that was a moment where, you know, you can imagine the roles are reversed. It's a th- difficult moment, right? If we had President Clinton and, and all of a sudden China said, well, we're out of this agreement, you know, what, what would we do? And, you know, it's interesting because China stayed in. And they said that very, very quickly. I mean, even before President Trump was even inaugurated, they said that they're not that, you know, that that the, that the agreement that the, their commitment to climate change was, you know, remained, remained firm. And, you know, I think that that's that really did help to retain that overall integrity of the agreement during the the four year, um, you know, essentially a four year absence of, of the United States uh, from the global climate dialogue. And it would have so helped together
0: if China. I mean, if China yeah. used the opportunity. That's to the question,
1: right? Was it a? Yeah. Is it is it a jailbreak? You know, yeah. and every, and other countries follow out, and and mm-hmm. they didn't do it. They, you know, um, and, and and other countries didn't as well. But that, you know, that would have been, you know, a real a real disaster. Um, and we would be unfortunately now probably in a situation where, you know, President Biden would have to be, in the in in the world of trying to rebuild a new agreement, and you know, that's that's fortunately not where we are. Or you know we're we're in a totally different phase, a phase of delivery on that agreement, and and I think that's the big question now. I mean you know you've you've seen what the United States is committed to. Um, most at this point, you know, basically all of the G seven has has now re upped its twenty thirty targets. So now the question is, what kind of how, what kind? How can we move the needle with China, India, mm-hmm. and the other major emerging economies? Over the next few months, before Mm -hmm. the kind of big culmination in um, in Glasgow, where the where the annual climate conference well, it was annual until last year. Supposed to last year, year, it was supposed to be last year. We got an extra year.
0: Well, and you
1: know, frankly, with the change of administration here, um, you know, it probably it probably all. Uh, worked out for the best.
0: So I wanted to ask you then, you know, this was clearly uh, this climate leaders summit was clearly a big moment in the road leading up to like the big moment, the uh, meeting in Glasgow this, this fall. Um, Are there other sort of interim steps and interim key kind of moments and inflection points between now and the Glasgow summit that we should be looking out for that you'll be monitoring for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, because it's not, you know, it's not about negotiations anymore, right? We're not trying to to, to craft a global agreement. We have it. So instead moments and, and a lot, you know, a lot of it that had really helped to um, um, to shape the kind of outcomes that under the Obama administration, that they pursued in the G7, and the G20, to the extent they were pursuing climate objectives. You know, it was very much shaped towards toward, with with that in mind. Um, and now we're not there we're talking about and I think these same moments now get to think about what can they do to really help to accelerate this global um, transformation so I'm watching in the G7 G20 at the General Assembly uh, this September um, you know uh, the uh, bank meetings uh, moments where uh, countries are are really trying to, um, Chart a post-COVID economic recovery. Um, what what are they doing? How are how are the how are how are they investing um, their time, resources, diplomatic weight um, to to try to steer the world onto this path mm. by November, where we again see a a, a, a we, we see a trajectory to get to that two-degree goal.
0: And I mean, you mentioned this earlier, but the the key kind of um things I think that are outstanding that are unknown are the extent of China and India's uh, ambitions in revising their NDCs uh, in advance of the Glasgow meeting. I mean, do you have any sense or indication of what or when we can expect from those two countries?
1: Well, in the case of China, you know they use the General Assembly. Um, last year, as a as a as a as a moment to make a, a very significant um, climate announcement, which is that they would be uh, carbon neutral by 2060, um, and that by setting that long term goal um, in advance of them establishing their upcoming five year plan, um, uh, uh, it, it, suddenly you had two data points, and you could start to chart. Well, what, what would what would you need to what would you need to be you know at by when? And um, they also indicated the time that they were going to be able to peak emissions uh, before twenty thirty as part of this and begin a descent downward. So you know suddenly there's a lot more um, near term relevance to their target because for it to be to align with the twenty sixty net zero, you have to start you have to start uh, reaching that that tipping point more quickly. Hmm. Um, so I, I, think that's a, that's a, that seems like that's been a moment in the past that they've, that they've liked to use, um, to make these announcements. So, you know, um, it may be that that, it may be that, that we wait till then to hear whether that's the case, um, in India as well, you know, I think they, they may choose to use that, that moment too. Um, though the calculations obviously are, as I said before, I think the timing is very much linked to what their domestic, mm-hmm. um, you know,
0: political cadences in terms of elections and other considerations they have. I think also central to India and China's commitments on climate, not just India and China, but many other countries around the world, including countries in, in Europe and in Eastern Europe, uh, and also other countries of the developing world, is this question of, of coal uh, and what to do about the future of coal. Did this climate leaders uh, summit point to any potential resolution on what to do about coal in the future?
1: Well, not not directly, but I think if you if you look at the kind of commitments, you realize that you know directionally we are entering a phase in which to meet these targets, the countries are setting for themselves. Um, they are either explicitly or implicitly looking at 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 phasing out coal uh, in their energy mix. I mean, you have China actually saying, um, uh, for the first time, Um, that post in their, in their subs, in their following five-year plan. So, so covering the 2020, you know, 26 through 2030 period that they will be declining coal use. And, you know, again, on the one hand you could say, well, you know, of course you got, you can do the math. You can't start, if you're going to peak and reduce emissions, you got to start cutting coal use, but they hadn't done that before. I think that was a, that was a recognition. They also, um, uh, Mentioned again, one of the bigger issues that kind of looms over a lot of these discussions when it comes to finance, which is the uh, ongoing um, financing of overseas coal projects that that China does extensively through the Belt and Roads Initiative, um, which is essentially locking in coal um, uh, in 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 a number of countries across South Asia, Southeast Asia, and elsewhere, and that's become a, more and more of a of a concern. And the United States is has pledged to not, to to end all public subsidies for overseas coal financing. Um, That was a position that first that the Obama administration had had taken on and and President Biden's reviving. Um, But you've seen another number of other countries now follow suit. Um, uh, uh, South Korea actually announced officially that it would halt all future um, financing for overseas coal projects. Japan is, is, Very close. They didn't. They're not quite there, but they're they're really they're really almost out of that out of that business, um, which would really isolate China and really put a focus on them and the Belt and Road Initiative, um, to see whether uh, uh, they would they would there there could be a kind of global pressure to redirect redirect that financing away from coal and towards you know cleaner uh, uh, more sustainable energy sources.
0: I mean, it's just amazing uh, to think how quickly momentum has shifted, uh, just in the last like year on uh, on climate front, and the extent to which U.S. leadership is responsible for that shift.
1: It matters a lot, you know, and 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 that's not to say. I mean, I think one thing that's that's good to note, though, is you know, the the Biden administration is reentering, but in a very aligned way with what you know. Um, with what the world and what the leading countries on this issue have been pushing for, for the past year. So, you know, they came in, they're, they're really putting their oar and it's a big oar, but it's in the, in the water and rowing in the same direction. Um, They're not setting different goals, right? I mean, you've had a huge amount of work done in the EU and the UK have shown, you know, a lot of leadership on this issue, you know, as have others. And, um, you know, I think you just you, it, it's a, it's it's great when you have everybody, you know, people pulling in this direction and then you get this great surge of, a, of of, of, of the, you know, the second largest emitter, a global power uh, like the United States to 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 sort of get on board. And I think that's what we're getting this really great little lift right off the bat here. Um, I mean, you know, again, 100 days ago, we weren't even in the Paris agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, the world really continue to take significant action um so uh, i think again it is amazing what, what the difference it can make when you when the united states switches from a position of obstructionism to, to to being one on the side of progress
0: uh well pete thank you so much for your time and helping us make sense of this climate leaders summit and and thank you for uh being a faithful listener to the show i always love it when listeners come on the show as guests it, it's sort of how it's supposed to work so thank you Thanks so much. honor to be here. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Pete. And I was sincere at the end of that conversation when I said this is how it is supposed to work. You know, uh, this show over the last many years has built up a great community around it. And that includes some really interesting people in the foreign policy international affairs space. And I love it when I have listeners of the show as guests on the show. So thank you to Pete. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.